like I said, today is part two of our Thy Kingdom Come series. Next week, we start a brand new series. It's going to be a, a six-week series called Defining Moments. And uh, I really believe in some of your lives, it's going to be a real pivotal uh, series for you that God is going to work in your lives in incredible ways. Uh, but for today, for today, we're going to finish this series. And last week, we uh, um, gave you the theme of Generation Church for 2015. Each year, we have a theme that uh, we send to everything that we do around. That's our sermons, our songs, our outreaches, um, and everything that we do. And this year, the theme is the Thy kingdom come. And last week we discovered that we need to pray what we call kingdom-minded prayers. And we explained what that is. And that's basically prayers that put the kingdom of God first. Before our needs, before maybe our own desires, we pray for the kingdom of God first. And we talked about last week that Jesus is enough for us. And if Jesus isn't enough for us, then we're not going to be able to unlock the doors to the kingdom of God and receive the promises that God gives us in our lives. So we ended the service by declaring that Jesus is enough for us. And we have to live our life like thy kingdom come is the motto of our lives. And what we mean by that is that we need to live in what I call the culture of the kingdom of God. Every uh, single um, nation or every country or every people group have their own culture. Now, if you're lucky, lucky enough to be able to travel and go to other places in the world outside the United States, you will discover that wherever you go, there is a different culture. If you go to Mexico or you go to Brazil or Argentina or if you go to South Africa or Nigeria or Egypt or India or the Philippines, if you go to Australia or Japan or China or Russia or uh, Italy, if you go to France, Germany, even the United Kingdom. Are you impressed with my geography? That's pretty good, right? Uh, that's about as far as it goes. But, but if you go to these different places, you will discover that they live life very differently to how we live life here in the United States. They eat differently, very differently. They approach life differently. They drive differently. Sometimes in some of those countries, you don't want to get in a car with the people from those countries because they drive very differently to what we do. And you need to pray the sinner's prayer before you get in that car. There's other, other times in different cultures, you see that they have different values. They value things differently. They bring up their kids differently to how we bring up our kids they approach their careers and their jobs differently to how we approach ours. They have different values. They even look at time in a whole different way to what we look at time. First time I ever went to India was in October of 2000. I just graduated from college and 
uh, my dad was invited to preach, and my dad was a pastor, and uh, so I went with my dad, and we went on, and I went to help him preach over there, and we landed in a place called Bombay, which is now Mumbai. Mumbai is the biggest city in India. It's like the New York of India. And we get there, and it's crazy, and it's different. There's people everywhere, homeless people here, rich people here. It's just, everything is just so different. The first thing that gets you is the smell, and it's horrible for like two days. Then it gets like stuck up your nose, and you can't get it out for like three weeks after that. But, uh, but you know, it stinks. But there's something magical about this place. So... We stayed overnight, and, uh, and then we got up the next morning, and we were catching a train from Mumbai to a place called Gunta in a, a state called Andhra Pradesh. And it was about a 16-hour train journey from, from one. It's basically from one side of India to the other. And so we were going to catch a train, and we were going to sleep in, in these beds. And I was like, nice, we're going to get a nice sleeper. But Indian people are a lot shorter than us, so I get in the sleeper, and I'm like... Like, like this, and, you know, because it couldn't stretch out m- much at all. But anyway, we're in the train station, and the, the, the Indian uh, guides that we're with, the people who we come to help with their ministry, they say, we'll go and check what platform that we're on, what platform the train is coming and what time the train's coming. So they said to the group of us, and there was like six of us, they said, you all stay here. And then the guide says, Alex, why don't you come with me? So I says, okay. You know, so I get up and I walk. And as I start to walk, this Indian guy called Sudhir, who was a very nice guy, suddenly reaches out and holds my hand. Suddenly, I like freeze. What is going on? And we're walking and he is holding my hand. I don't think you get like how bad this was. I was just like... <gasps> What is going on? I'm in a foreign country. He's leading me somewhere I don't know, and he's holding my hands. I'm like, what is going on? So I am like frozen, and he's saying, he's like, so what, you, what, what, you know, have you enjoyed your time here so far? I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, yep, you know. I mean, I, I do not want to like engage. I definitely don't want to make eye contact, that's for sure. And so we go to where we go, and suddenly he goes to the, like, the, 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 the ticket counter, takes it away from my hand, and next thing my hands are in my pocket. You know, I'm like, you ain't touching my hands again. And so we go back. I'm like, Dad, you'll never guess what. He held my hand, you know. And my dad just laughed. Well, I started looking around. And I was looking around, and I've seen other guys walking down the road, guys hand in hand. Like, what sort of place is this? You know? So then we get on the train, and we're on the train, and there's, there's this guy, Sudhir, who's part of the ministry that we're, we're going to help. And then there, there's, there's another guy with him, and he's a friend. And they are, they are sitting on the, the, the train, and they're next to each other. And the guide has got his arm around Sudhir's shoulder. And Sudhir has got his hand on the guy's thigh. I'm like, this place is getting even worse. It's like crazy. What is going on? I'm like, this is like so different to the culture. Remember, this, is, this isn't 2015. This is 2000. It's like, what is going on? I've never seen anything like this before. Well, I suddenly start to realize that the culture is so different to Western culture. See, in Western culture, when we hold hands, it shows a sign of romance, right? It shows a sign of romantic love. 
But out in the east of this world, holding hands and embracing each other shows a sign of brotherly love. It's totally different. So what they were doing, he was showing a sign of friendship to me. I mean, I'm thinking there's better ways. You can like give me some M&Ms or something to show me some friendship instead of holding my hand. But that was their sign. It was a sign of friendship. Culture was so different. And you know what? That's just like it is in the kingdom of God. The culture in the kingdom of God is so different to our culture. It is foreign to some of us. We hear truths here in church, and it's so foreign to us, so different that we can't understand it because we think one way, but people who live in the kingdom of God think a totally different way. If you live and belong in the kingdom of God, you should act very differently to people who don't. You should value things very differently to people who do not. Let me explain to you. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to John chapter 18, two different types of verses that we're going to go to. John chapter 18, and then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and 7 this morning. But in John chapter 18, Jesus has been arrested. Jesus has upset the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were religious leaders of the day in Judea. They did not like Jesus because Jesus was living very differently and teaching very different things to what they believed. So they wanted to get rid of Jesus. They wanted him out of the picture. Now, they couldn't do it according to their laws. And the region of Judea at the time was governed by Rome. The Roman Empire had invaded. And now there was a guy called Pontius Pilate who was the governor of the region of what we call Judea. And so they sent Jesus to Pilate and they said, find something wrong with this guy. And Pilate starts explaining to Jesus why they have sent him to, or sent Jesus to to himself. And Pilate starts to say, they call you the king of the Jews, but they don't really like you. They don't like what you're about. And then he asks this question, why? Why don't they like you? What is it about you that they want to get rid of? And this is what Jesus says to Pilate. In John chapter 18 and verse 36, he says, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Basically, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, he says, Pilate, their culture is totally different to my culture. The things that they believe and value is very different to what I believe and value. And then he's saying this to Pilate. He's saying, Pilate, he says, the way you do things isn't the way that I do things. We are different. We are not the same. We are from a different culture. You know, about three years before, maybe, we're not sure of the timeline, but it's about three years before Jesus, before Pilate. There was this time in Jesus' life where he had lots of followers, lots of people following him. And one day, he comes to a hillside, and I don't know if he sat down or if he stood up and everyone else sat down, but he started to teach certain things. 
the, the account is found in Matthew chapter 6 and 7. And it is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew dedicates about two and a half chapters to, to this talk that Jesus gave this one day. And what Jesus started to describe, he started to describe what the culture is like in the kingdom of heaven. And he started to describe a very different culture than what they were living in, the people were living in at that time. And we, we see very, a, a lot of different things that, uh, that we as Christians, we now believe. That was said this day that Jesus sat on this hillside and taught some things. Like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus said that that day. He said, love your enemies. Which to them at that time was foreign. It was totally different. But that was said that day by Jesus. Jesus says, he said, uh, seek. Uh, he said, ask, seek, and find. And then knock and the door will be opened unto you. That's what he said that day. Another thing he said was, hey, quit looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a big old fat plank in your own eye. That's what Jesus said that day. Even the Lord's Prayer, you know, when maybe when we were younger or maybe from your background, you said it all the time, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. Uh, that was said this day by Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you were around Generation Church several months ago, you would have seen a bunch of little preschool kids. And you would have asked them, what did you learn today at Generation Church? And I actually asked one of them one day. We were going out, out to lunch after church, and one of the little kids, Ethan, wanted to uh, ride with, uh, with Raquel and Alex. And so I'm like, okay, get in the car. We put the car seat in there, and we're going to lunch. And I turned around and said, Ethan, what did you learn today in kids' church? And he says, oh, let me tell you what we learned. And this is what he said. He said, the crowd were amazed. And he did this at his teaching. I'm like, you what? What did you learn? What are they teaching over there? You know? And he goes, he said, no, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. I mean, it was great. I asked him like five or six times. It was super cute. And then it got annoying after that, you know. So, But then we started videoing some of it. And you, I think you can even see on our Facebook, there's like some of the kids uh, doing it. The crowd were amazed at his teaching. And what they were actually going through were some of the things that Jesus taught that day. Because the Bible says, after Jesus taught these things, the crowd were totally amazed at the teachings of Jesus. Because the culture was so different to their culture. And this is one of the things that Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, he says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is narrow, and the road is difficult. Only a few ever find it. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that when you come into the kingdom of heaven, it's not easy because it's totally different to what we live in in this life. In fact, I've discovered the problem with the kingdom of heaven is that many find it so hard to actually open the door that they fail to discover the promises that there are in the kingdom of heaven when you live your life according to the values and the culture of God's kingdom. 
And many of us this morning, we're following this Christian life. But many of us, we may not even be satisfied with this life. We're doing it because it's a religious act. We're doing it because we believe in God. We believe in Jesus. And we're thinking, well, this is right. This is what we should do. But when you actually discover what it's like to live in the culture of the kingdom of heaven, you start to discover there are so many promises. There's so many different things that God gives us. You know what? Last week we said that in the kingdom of heaven, there are answers to prayer. There is peace for today. And there is hope for tomorrow. And some of you, you need to discover what that hope and that peace is. But you can only find it in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says that the door is so narrow. He says that there's different ways to life. You can go and discover this way or this way, but there's only one true way to life, and it's through a narrow door. The other ways that you can have great lives and you can experience wonderful things and it's broad and it's big and it's easy to do it. But ultimately, it doesn't lead to life. If you want to experience life, real life, eternal life, you have to come through a narrow gate and that means coming into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. You know, as Jesus gave this sermon this day, many of the people who followed Jesus, they woke up that morning worrying if they had enough food to feed their family the next day. You know, we're, we're a pretty rich people, you know. I know we sometimes have money problems and we don't think we've got much, but in the whole spectrum of the history of humanity, we have a whole lot more than most people. The people who came to Jesus that day, they, they, they didn't worry about if they had enough for retirement. They didn't worry about, well, can I get two years off my mortgage if I put some more money down? You know, then for another two years, we'll be debt free. They didn't worry about that stuff. You know what they worried? Can I feed my family tomorrow? Do I have enough to feed my kids and then some for me? And Jesus, he started to address these issues. He started addressing their worries and their anxieties and their hurts and their pains. And this is what Jesus said. He said, he said look at the birds of the field. He said, they have no worries. But yet, the Heavenly Father, God Almighty, comes and he provides food for them. And he says, hey, look at the, 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 the flowers of the field. He says, they don't worry about tomorrow, but yet God clothes them. And Jesus says, why are you worrying about tomorrow? He says, for tomorrow has enough worries about itself. He says, today is the day that you need to think about and act and live according to God. Basically, God, Jesus is saying, he's saying that there in the kingdom of heaven is enough provision for tomorrow, so don't worry about it. Jesus says, I'm going to take care of your needs. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Jesus makes this statement. And he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he, meaning God, will give you everything you need. That's a pretty bold statement right there. Jesus is saying, if you make two life changes... Put the kingdom of God above all else. Seek to live right before God righteously. 
and God's going to give you everything you need. That's a bold, bold statement. I'd be scared to say that right here now. But Jesus said it. You know why? Because it's the truth. And the truth is this, that if we make two life changes, we will never have to worry about tomorrow again because in the kingdom of God, there is enough for tomorrow. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and seek God's righteousness. Well, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, let's start with righteousness first. What does it mean to be righteous? It's a very Christian churchy word. But the word righteous means basically to be in good standing with God. To be right with God. To be right with God. There's two ways that you can be right with God. One, to be a perfect person. How many perfect people we got here this morning? Don't raise your hand. Come on, don't be shy. You know you think you're perfect. How many perfect uh, spouses have we got here? How many think their spouse is perfect? Guys, you're supposed to raise your hand, you know? You get bonus points. The reality is, is none of us are perfect. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I think, man, I'm just perfect. And then I go and look in the mirror and I'm like, whoa, not perfect at all. There is nobody in this world who is perfect. There's only one person in the billions of humans who have ever lived on this planet, and his name was Jesus. And so if there was only one man who could be perfect, that means there's got to be another way to be righteous before God, in good standing with God. And there is. And it's called to live in his grace. So there's two ways we can be perfect or we can live in his grace. Well, perfect is out, so we better start to learn to live in the grace of God. And what I mean by that is learning to live in the love and the forgiveness and the righteousness and and, and the compassion of Jesus. Learn to live as Jesus lived. The word grace means unmerited favor. That's what it means. The definition of grace. It means you did not deserve God's grace, but through the love and sacrifice of Jesus, you have now the ability to experience the grace of God. The forgiveness, the love, and the favor of God. And so what that means for you, it means that you need to live a life close to the Father. Do you know why? Because grace is a daily act of coming to the Father, and he reaches out his hand and he gives you grace. And it's coming daily to the Father and taking that grace from the Father. It's not just a one-time act, even though that one-time act saved you from your sins. It's, it's about coming daily and receiving daily and living not in a one-time part of grace, but it's daily living in grace, daily living in the forgiveness. You can be forgiven once, But you come daily, and it's the daily forgiveness that Christ gives. Because we get forgiven of one thing, then we go and do something else that's bad. And we come to the Father again, he forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. And he loves, and he loves, and he loves. And it's a daily act of coming too close to the Father. That is living in grace. And people who live in the kingdom of God and experience the kingdom of God experience grace. They live in grace because they know they can't be perfect. That's what it means to seek righteousness. 
But also he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. So what does that mean, to seek the kingdom of God above all else? Well, i got two words for you. One is gospel and one is glory. Gospel and glory. Let me explain gospel to you. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what this means is that we are to live daily in the gospel of Jesus Christ, live daily in the good news that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. He has given us love. He has given us grace. He has given us mercy. But also, it's also to tell the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. Our decisions and our thoughts should be what we call gospel-centered. Meaning that our decisions and our thoughts should be about telling people about the good news of Jesus. We should ask ourselves the question, is what I'm doing right now, is it helping or hindering the gospel? People who live in the kingdom of God are people who are gospel-centered not self-centered. Gospel-centered, not self-centered. You know, the United States has many ambassadors, people who who have been appointed by the government to go to other countries and be the the connection or uh, be the representative of our country that we live in to these other countries. And these uh, uh, ambassadors, when they go to these countries, they embrace the lifestyle, they they live in, in, in a different culture, but their first thought is always, what is best in the United States of America? Not what is best for me or what's best for that culture. It's what's best for the United States of America. And Jesus says that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And so that means wherever we go, whatever we do, that we should be always thinking what is best for the kingdom of God. That is what it means to be gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. Also, We need to think not just gospel, we need to think glory. And what I mean by glory, we need to think heaven bound. We need to think eternal thoughts. You know, we're eternal beings and God has has us on this journey of life. And I believe this this life that we're living is, is a journey. It's not the end. I believe there is a destination that we are going to. You know, if I came to you and I said to you this morning, hey, I have bought you a vacation to Hawaii. You're going to be like, you rock. You're going to be like, I love my pasta t-shirts after that. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, you're going to be like, that's just amazing. And I come to you and I say, I, I love you so much. You know, I think so much. I bought you tickets to Hawaii. And then you get to the airport and you're so excited. You've been packing. You've been thinking about it. Maybe you've been on the, 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 the tanning beds just to, you know, get a little glow before you go on vacation. But you're loving it and you're like, wow, we're going to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get to the airport and I give you tickets. I said, I got another surprise for you. You're flying first class all the way. Then you'd be like, oh my word, this is like the best ever. And then you get in the plane and you sit down and you get on first before everybody else. And then they come and serve you uh, maybe some water, maybe some champagne if you want some champagne. And they give you a hot towel and you're there with the hot towel. And you're like, oh, this is the life of luxury. How can anyone fly coach again? 
and you fly to, I don't know, Los Angeles or San Francisco first class. You get out, then, uh, then you get back on another plane, you fly to Hawaii, and you are loving life so much that you get down into Hawaii and you don't want to leave. You're just like, no, because first class is amazing. I want to fly all the way back because first class is the best. No one would do that. Because even if you flew first class and you had a wonderful trip there, the main reason you're on that flight is to get to Hawaii and go and have a great time in Hawaii. But you know, so many of us, we live life just like that. We enjoy this life so much that we fail to think about where we're going. We're on a journey. And the destination that we're going is so much better, so much bigger, so much wider, so much more incredible than this life. Yeah, first class is good, but it's nothing compared to a wonderful trip to Hawaii. This life, yeah, we can have good times. We can have good friends, good family, nice houses, nice cars, good careers. We can eat good food. But it is nothing at all compared to the place that we are going. And somebody who is immersed in the culture of the kingdom of heaven is somebody who understands this life is just temporary. And it's nothing at all. You know, there was a, when we first started this church, there was a family who, good family. I love them to bits. They came into the church. They got involved. And they started volunteering. We started to help disciple them. The kids got involved. And you could see just they come on leaps and bounds. They had a lot of issues when they first came into the church. One of them had some addictions he was dealing with. And God did an incredible work in their lives. But there was one problem. The problem was this. They had some money issues. It wasn't that they were really badly unwise with their money. It wasn't that they didn't have much money because they both had pretty good jobs. The problem was is they bought their house in 2005 or whatever when it was at the height. And the house payment was killing them. But yet, they still stayed faithful, they still helped, they got connected, and the more they got connected, the deeper in Christ that they went. But then they also had another problem as well, and the problem for them was this, and some people think it's a problem, others don't, but for them it was an issue, they were in a school district that they did not like. They were in a school district where they felt their kids would not have a good education. And so even though they were struggling for money month on month, and sometimes there was more going out than what's coming in, they made the decision to send their child to private school. Good decision, good good intentions, you know. I mean, parents thinking about their children. They wanted to make the sacrifice for themselves to give to their child. No one would think that was a bad decision. But you know what the problem was? They couldn't afford to send their kid to to private school. So what they did, the one spouse started working more and more hours, became less and less available. The other one got another job, and they started traveling all over. And so they had less and less time that they could spend with each other, spend with their families, and spend in a spiritual community like a church. And it happened over a few months. 
you could just start seeing that they started pulling away from church a little. Firstly, it started with not volunteering as much, which we understand if someone, you know, is overflowed, we're not going to give them a turn and say, hey, you've got to be here every single week, three nights a week, you know. If somebody has a lot, you, you, you know, you work with them. But you started to see they started volunteering less. And then they made some deep connections, and they started pulling away from those connections because they did not have time for those connections because they were working and working and working, all to make sure that their child got a good education. And after a period of probably about six or seven months, those deep connections that they had, they had pulled away. And now they hardly knew anybody in the church. Eventually, they decided to just stop coming to church altogether. And as I know, they're not even in church right now. Breaks my heart as a pastor to see someone who was once so on fire for God through just one decision uh, now has distanced themselves. You know what? They've still got those many issues. Still got those problems. But it could have been solved. And do you know how it could have been solved? By how they decided to make that decision. They made the decision through the filter of what is the best education for my kid? How is my kid going to get the best values in this life, get the best education, get the best head start? That was the filter that they made this decision in. But in the kingdom of heaven, the culture of the kingdom of heaven, all decisions are made like this. Through the filter of grace, gospel, and glory. Is this leading me closer to Christ? Is this helping others experience the gospel? Is this having eternal consequences? Because you know, when you make decisions through the filter of the kingdom of heaven, this is what happens, Jesus says, and all those other things will be given unto you. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about your kid's future. Don't worry about your, the future of your marriage. Don't worry about the future of your retirement, of your finances. Don't worry about what tomorrow is going to hold when we live in the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Because when we live in the culture of the kingdom of heaven, God is saying, I've got your back. I'm there for you. There's more provision, but this is the problem. We find it so hard because we want to be in control of our own lives instead of losing control to God and making it be be about Him. We want it to be about us, but the reality is it's not about us. It's about Him, and now we have the opportunity to experience the kingdom of God with Him. It's not that we're able to not enjoy our time here on earth. Because we are. It's not that we don't make wise decisions because we do. And it doesn't mean that you don't care about your kids because you do and you make wise decisions about your kids. But it's down to who are you putting your trust in. Are you putting your trust in the culture of the kingdom of God? Or the culture that we live in in this life? Are you putting your trust in the promises of God? All the promises of this culture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 to 20. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal. 
Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is saying, he says, don't store up your treasures in this culture because it's going to rust, it's going to decay. It may not even work. You'll leave it to chance. But if you store up your treasure and you put the kingdom of God first before anything else, then God will protect it and God will keep it. And let me just tell you, parents, this morning, God is also your kids' parents. He is their father. He loves them, if you can even imagine, more than you do. He cares for them more than you do. And if he is saying, put me first, put me first, he's going to take care of you. That's the promise of the kingdom of heaven. The promise of this culture is put your kids in a good school, put your kids first, make your life revolve around your kids, and then maybe they may turn out okay, get you a good job, and help you in a retirement home when you get old. I want to rely on the promises of the kingdom of heaven. When you seek the kingdom of heaven and you live close to God, the promise is peace, hope, and provision. And I'm so excited for this year at Generation Church. I'm excited for what God is going to do because we've decided we're going to put the kingdom of God first. As leaders, we're going to put the kingdom of God first before our lives, before our desires. As a church, we've decided we're going to put the kingdom of God before Generation Church going to be kingdom first. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do with a group of 130 odd adults and kids that call Generation Church home. Because when you put the kingdom of God first, God gets to work and God does amazing, incredible things. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, it says, it says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It says, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then some Bibles say this, some don't. If you've got a King James, it may say it. If you've got a New Living, it doesn't say it. But it says, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is his kingdom. And in his kingdom, there is power. There is glory. There is provision. There is hope. There is peace. There is love. There is joy. And no matter what you go through in life, if you put the kingdom of heaven above everything else, seek the kingdom of heaven above everything else, let grace overflow in your life, live righteously, then everything else, all your worries, all your anxieties will not have to be worries because God will give them onto you. I don't know about you today, but I'm ready to put the kingdom of God first. In my life, in my marriage, in my child that's soon to be born, in this church. I'm ready to put the kingdom of God first and see what God can do. You know why? Because God can do it way better than I can. He can do more with my little bit of faith than what I can do with all the resources that I have. Above all else, seek the kingdom of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer.